It's morning, everyone. So good to be together. My, my revelation of Jesus will determine my devotion to Jesus. Okay? Your revelation of Jesus will determine how you see Jesus. And how you see Jesus affects how you follow Jesus. Okay? Keep that in mind. We're in the book of John, John chapter 3. We're going to hopefully finish off John chapter 3 this morning. Let's read from verse 31. The context is that John was speaking to his disciples. Remember, they were a bit upset because some of John's disciples had left and gone to Jesus, who was baptizing also in the Jordan River, and they were a bit bleak. And John explained, well, actually, he must become greater, I must become less. And this is the rest of the conversation that John has with his disciples in the same kind of flow. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. He's talking about Jesus, right? But the one who's from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. He's speaking about himself. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So John, the baptizer, we see him again. All he's doing is raving about Jesus. He's trying to give his followers another picture of how great Jesus is. He's trying to use different words, different expressions to show how great Jesus is. I can remember when Nelson Mandela died. It was December 2013, and I was driving on the way to work in the morning and listening to the radio, and the radio presenters were talking about Nelson Mandela, who just died. And they were interviewing people who knew him, who had worked with him, etc. And as they started talking, I was like, wow, I don't know much about this guy, Nelson Mandela. He sounds like an amazing person. So I, that day, I went and bought his biography, his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, and I read it that December, and I, it blew my mind who this man was. I got to learn about his early childhood and all he went through and the struggle, his understanding of philosophy, ideologies, religion, politics. Now, I would have joined the ANC if I'd been alive at that time because this was a great man who loved his nation and his people. And John is here trying to give us another picture of Jesus to inspire us, the greatness of who he is. So we're going to take just some of John's phrases that he mentions and just kind of camp there for a few minutes in each one and hopefully get a bigger view of Christ this morning. The first thing that John says is that Jesus is above all. That's like Christ's position. He's above all. He's more prominent. He's more important. He's more valuable. He's more special. He has more authority. He's got a higher rank than all. Than all people, than all animals. You know, in Johannesburg, some people think animals are more important than people. So it's important that I say that. Jesus is more important than all animals. <laughs> more, more important or, or higher than all angels, all demons, than all thrones or authorities or rulers of powers. He's above all. Everything. 
He's the top of the food chain. In school, you learned about the food pyramid. Remember back those days? For some of us, it's a bit further back than others. But like, what's on the bottom of the food chain? It's like the grass. And then the things that eat the grass, and the things that eat the things that eat the grass. And eventually, you get the apex predator, like the lion or the, the whale, that nothing... Like, Jesus is like that. He's top of the food chain. There's no rival. There's no competitor. There's no enemy. There's no contender. There's no challenger. He's unequaled. There's nothing above him, John is saying. Everything else is below him. Everything else. Not because he's like the lion. He's a bit quicker or a bit stronger or a bit smarter. It's actually because... He's so different. The Bible says that there's a distinction between, there's like one dividing line for everything that ever is or was or has been or will be. There's God, there's everything else. There's the creator and then everything else that he's made. We can't compare creator to creation. You cannot. He's distinct. He's separate. He's holy, the Bible says. He's above all, all else. Then John says he comes from heaven. Have you ever been to a, um, like a really unusual place, like a really exotic place, and you, you go there and the people are different and they speak a different language and like even the architecture's unfamiliar, like everything's so different. Then you, you come back and you try and tell people about this place you've been to and you, like, just, you can't convey properly like all that you've seen and experienced. Have you ever had that moment where you're just like, you're trying to explain, but they just, they just don't get it, you know? But you've been to this completely unique, strange place. I had that experience in about 15 years ago. I was fortunate to go to China with the university I was studying in, and my professor went with, etc. And I'd, I'd been to the U.S. before that, and I've been to the U.K., I'd been to some places in Europe, and I'd been into Africa on mission trips. I traveled a little bit. But when I got to China... Man, it was so different, so strange, so unique, so unfamiliar in, in so many ways. The one day they, the, the university took us to this, it was like a warehouse, and they sold jade. You know what jade is? It's that green, semi-precious stone that they carve into like bangles and earrings and jewelry. And picture going into like a macro, like that size store. There was just row upon row of these glass cabinets with all this jade jewelry. Just jade, as far as the eye can see. Like it just, I didn't buy anything for Candace then. I was a poor university student. That was my excuse at least. But it just like, it, it blew my mind. We got to go to the Great Wall of China in Beijing. And like the scale of this construction was just Breathtaking. It was just like amazing. Even the animals there are different. Like the dogs also walk around a bit like this. And like they bark in Mandarin, you know. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but the food is different. The one time we had lunch at a restaurant and this like the food is different is all I can say. <laughs> but the, the, the dessert was like this fresh fruit that had been cut up. Now you think like fruit is fruit. But there was some fruit that I, I don't know what it was. And so I thought, now I'm going to be brave and I'm going to try this. It was yellow. It's like they cut up these squares and triangles. And I looked and I thought, ah, that looks like the texture of watermelon, but it's yellow. Like at that point, I'd never seen yellow watermelon in my life. So I'm like, okay, don't want to offend them. So I try some watermelon and it, 
it, it messed with my head. It confused my senses because I'm eating this yellow stuff. What, what flavor do you associate with yellow? Mango, orange, lemon. But what was the banana? What was the taste I had? Watermelon. So my taste is pink. I'm tasting pink, right? You associate watermelon with pink. But I'm looking at yellow. It was like my eyes were going, it was so bizarre. This totally different place. And Jesus, John says, he's from heaven. This different place, this unique place that we can't begin to describe. In heaven, we see the glory of God. That phrase, I don't think we'll, it'll mean nothing when we actually go and see the glory of God one day. It's just so completely different. In heaven, we see angels. Go read the book of Revelation. Some very weird-looking creatures also flying around with six sets of wings and eyes under their wings. It's, there's a sea of glass as clear as crystal in front of the throne. There's holiness, perfection. There's majesty, unapproachable light. Can't imagine the beauty, the splendor, the radiance, the glory of God. Streets paved with gold, gates made of massive pearls. It's like Jesus has come from heaven, this very, very different place. Jesus has come to earth, to you and I. And the one who, I mean, he, he's from heaven, but he made heaven. The one who owns it and made this amazing place. He comes and He wants to call us friend. And He died for our sins so that we would one day share in that glory. John's saying He's, he's from heaven, guys. Get this picture of who Jesus is. I was reminded while preparing, and I think this is Scriptures for some people here. Jesus said to His disciples, In my Father's house are many rooms. Where I come from, where home is, the true home. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going back to prepare one for you. If I'm going back to prepare one, I'm going to come back and fetch you and take you to where I am. Wow. Excited for heaven? Yo. And then John says, He who's come from God speaks the words of God. Now you and I, we hear lots of good words in our day-to-day life. I, at the company I work for, I've got some people who report to me, and they have to write a monthly report every month. And there's two ladies in particular, at the end of their monthly report, they put like this really cool quote. And the one, the one lady, she always writes like something about teamwork. Like teamwork makes the dream work. Or, like there's no R in teamwork. And like, so over the last, I don't know, four or five years, I've seen like every possible quote on teamwork. And some of them are really good and inspiring, and they're awesome. The other lady, she gets a quote from like Twitter. And she, like, she posts like the screenshot of the guy that she's got the quote from, and often it's a guy called Adam Grant, who I don't know who he is, but anyway. But like really deep stuff. I'm like, wow, you could fit that amazing, profound concept into like one line? Like that's amazing. We should listen to clever people and wise people and, and learn from others, their writings, their sayings. But, but John says there's someone who speaks the words of God. Like we should put those words immediately on a different level. Like they're more important, they're more valuable, they're more, they carry more weight than anyone who can tweet on Twitter or 
whatever it might be. Jesus speaks the words of God. And surely His teachings and His principles and His instructions and commands, we should give more close attention to the words of God. And as His disciple, you and I, as His disciples, when we see Jesus' teachings, when we see the Bible, the Word of God, and then we compare it to our lives, when we see a disconnect, when it doesn't match up, how many of you know it's my life that needs to change, not the Bible? So many of us, we try to explain away why our life and the Bible don't match up. We try and use some excuses. I'll give us a few because I've used them myself. Sometimes we say, well, it's, it's not convenient, Lord, to, to change my life so that it's like this. not convenient. And, and with respect, I want to say to all of us, it wasn't convenient for Jesus to come to planet Earth, marred by sin, with the rebellious people wanting to kill Him. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to die. So that, that excuse that we use, oh, it's, just, it's, not it's not easy for me, you know. But man, Jesus knew it wasn't convenient for him, and yet he did it. That, that excuse we use holds no water. Some people say that, actually, you know what? God wants me to be happy so I can live like this because, you know, God is love and he wants me to be happy. I've read the whole Bible a few times, not as much as I'd like to, but I've read it a few times, front to back, every verse. I haven't found one yet that said God wants us to be happy. I promise you. There's quite a few that said God wants us to be holy. Old Testament, New Testament, be holy as I am holy. You know what? As we start to live holy, there's like this deep, much deeper happiness that enters our life. The Bible calls it joy. It's way better than the superficial happiness we try and look for, the pursuit of happiness that's so rampant in our world. When we start to live holy, there's this deep life that comes inside us. Some people say, well, the Bible is it's so outdated. How can it possibly speak into our modern world with all its complex happenings? You know, God is old-fashioned and His rules are old-fashioned too. I just want to remind us, like, God hasn't changed His standards for how we should live. As much as we think that excuse makes us feel better, we're just looking for a reason to excuse our sin so that we don't feel guilt and shame about it. And even if we do use whatever excuse to justify our lifestyle, we might feel better about our sin. But I want to say that sin has consequence. It's a dangerous thing to disregard the Word of God. I want to don't know how strongly I can say this. It's a perilous thing. It's eternally dangerous to disregard the Bible. Do you know why? Jeremiah chapter 1, God says, I'm watching over my word to see it's fulfilled. God doesn't watch over what I think or what I'd like Him to say. God watches over His word to see it fulfilled. He watches over the good. And if you read the Bible, there are promises about if we live God's way, the life and blessing that follows. He watches over His Word to see the life and blessing come to us. But He also watches over His promise that says, if you don't live like this, there's going to be some negative things that could happen. He watches over that part of His Word too. That's why it's dangerous to disregard God's Word. 
1 Timothy chapter 3 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful. Why would we not want to take anything that is going to benefit us? Candice and I, a few years ago, we started hiking. And uh, we, we're a different kind of hiking breed. Because you know, some people that are really passionate about hiking, they'll hike every weekend. At least go for a walk, or maybe once a month they'll go for a hike. But we're different. We like to save up all our hiking days. And once a year go on a five-day hike, because we're lazy. <laughs> so we did that. Two years ago we went, we did a hike called the Whale Trail down in the Western Cape. And that hike, five days long, but it's called slack packing. You, you take all your food for five days, but you, you, every person gets a big box as well as your, your backpack. And so you can put the extra clothes and the extra sweeties and the lacquer stuff. And they, they take that box to the next house that you stay in the next night. They portage it for you, right? So we're like, we're going to start easy. We'll just get, we can take lots of food, etc. It was great. Last year, we decided we're going to level up. We're going to do the Otter Trail. Now, the Otter Trail, also five days long. It's more intense, more up and down, but you're going to take everything with you, all your food for five days. There's no one taking your extra stuff or your extra blankie or your cuddle toy or like your pillow or whatever. You're going to take your sleeping bag, your cooking equipment, your plates, your towel, your extra clothes, and all your food for five days. So this, this is like we were nervous. So for months before, obviously we're training, we're running, etc. But for months before, we read blog posts of people who had done the Otter Trail. We were learning as much as we could. Watching YouTube videos, there's three rivers that run through that particular hike. And if it's raining, you've got to cross the river. So you have to learn how to float your bag above your head while you... Like, it's quite hectic. It's like we watched YouTube videos of how to pack stuff and what's a good plastic to you. Like, we researched... And then, the week before we went, we went to some friends' houses, Alana and Dean. They're part of this church. They're like expert hikers. They've done the Otter Trail. We had dinner with them. And we just, we peppered them with questions the whole evening. What to do if this happens? What to do here, etc. They were very kind and generous with their advice. And they even lent us some of their gear. How dumb would we have been if we spent all that time looking for good advice? And then we're like, oh, we'll just do our own thing. We'll see if we can cross the river. Who cares about that video we watched? You'd think you're stupid. All that effort to, to get that advice that should be useful, and then you don't use it. But how often do we do that with God's Word? Like we read a scripture, we hear His Word. Oh, now I'll just do my own thing. Can I say with respect, how dumb are we? Me included, how dumb are we? God's Word is useful for our lives. Do you know what the longest chapter in the whole Bible is? Almost. Psalm 119. The longest chapter in the whole Bible. Do you know what the entire chapter is about? The Word of God. There's this psalmist. I don't think we know who his name is. He spends, there's hundreds of verses. It'll take you a week to read it, right? All about how good are his precepts, how wonderful his teachings, how amazing his commands. Just, I dare you, go and read that psalm. Take you the whole week. <laughs> I read the first 20 or 30 verses just to see what are the benefits of following God's Word. I'm just going to read them out quickly. Those who live according to God's Word, this is all from Psalm 119, they are blessed. 
They live in purity. They have delight. There's joy in their lives. There's revelation in their minds. God gives them wisdom. There's a strengthening of their soul and their body. There's an understanding that comes to our thinking. There's grace. We run in our destiny. His word removes disgrace from us. God pours out his love. There's freedom, hope, comfort. It just goes on and on and on. How good it is to follow God's word. John says, Jesus, he speaks the words of God. Man, we've got to be reading the gospels and singing about Jesus. It's so good. And then John says that he, Jesus has the spirit without limit. What does that mean? Well, we know on earth, Jesus lived for 30-something years, and he chose for those years not to avail himself of his divine attributes. So he lived like a human. He had to obey the laws of gravity and everything else that we have to go through. But he was given, he was filled with the Holy Spirit as baptism. So he had the Spirit without limit. Now he's obviously ascended. He's in heaven. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they're all God. And God is a Spirit without limit. What does that mean? Well, he can never run out of his resources. He can never be depleted. He's not limited by anything. The Bible uses, or we use the word infinite. You know what that means? I've got no idea. Uh, we cannot, as humans, grasp this concept of infinitude. We can't. Because our whole world, our whole context, day to day, is not like that. My energy levels, there's a limit to them. Right? By the end of the day, I'm tired. My strength is limited. I get hungry. I need to sleep. I'm, I'm finite. That's all I know. I've never had nonstop energy and power for like 10 months and not needed to, to sleep. Like, I don't know that. I, I, my experience and our world tells us there's a limit. Our natural resources have a limit. Remember a few years ago, the drought in, in our country, the water restrictions? Like, it's bad when water runs out. Everything else we know is finite. My bank balance is finite. I wish it wasn't, but it is. My patience. Sometimes my kids test my patience. They know it sometimes runs out. <laughs> my ability to love people is limited. And things in our world have a start and an end. Our pot plants, our pets and people, they're born. They live. They die. Like there's a start and end. We're so familiar with life on this planet. But John says Jesus is without limit. He's infinite. Unlike milk, which has an expiry date, God's love never expires, never grows sour if you leave it out, if you run away for years and years. His love, His grace, His mercy, His compassion. The Bible says they're new every morning. They're infinite. They never run out. He's powerful. His bank balance never runs out. And God is not confined. He's not limited to physical things. What do I mean by that? Around the complex we live in, there's this big electric fence. And it's to keep animals, wild animals, because you know, Joburg's the you know, concrete jungle. To keep, keep big animals and people out, right? Small animals like a mouse can easily get through. 
but it's to keep people out, right? But when the wind blows, the wind is not at all worried about the electric fence. You can't stand behind an electric fence and hope it's going to shatter you from the wind. No, it's not confined by that thing. And God is spirit. He's not physical. He's not limited by our humanity. God is not limited by what limits us. Friends, we've got to know that truth. God is not limited by your bank balance, your health status, whether you are educated or not educated. God is not limited by anything that limits us. He's not bound by our humanness. Gravity has no influence on God. He's outside of time and space. Doesn't need food and water to keep him alive. And thing, in fact, all things, all things were created through him and for him. The Bible says he sustains, he holds together all things through his powerful word. If you had to zoom out of planet Earth and just keep going back and back and back, you'd see millions of galaxies, each with billions of stars, whirring and spinning and doing their thing. Our little solar system and our simple little Milky Way galaxy. Planet Earth, 7.8 billion people all moving and breathing and having their being. And God sustaining it all, every moment of every day, without breaking a sweat. He's all-powerful. He's the Spirit without limit. Amazing. Then John says, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. You know, when you, you hand something over to someone, when you place it in their hands, you entrust them with that thing. You, you're okay to give it to them because they're trustworthy. So God the Father's trusting Jesus with everything in His hands. There's a similar phrase in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, And God placed all things under His feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed Him to be head over everything. Sounds just like John's words, eh? Why? For the church. Why did God put everything in Jesus' hands? Why has He placed everything under His feet? For the sake of the church. For you and I. For the well-being, for the good, for the, for the good of the church. In other words, the one who is above all, the one who is from heaven, the one who speaks the word of God, the one whom the Father loves, he's for us, not against us. The whole reason God's given all authority, all power to Jesus is for the sake of his people, his bride. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's incredible. God's given everything to Jesus, put in his hands. And then lastly, John says, whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life. In other words, eternal life is only found in Jesus. And I think our, we don't know it, but our salvation, our eternity, eternal life is a whole lot nearer than we think. We're not waiting one day for some distant benefit with a sick heart, hoping and yearning, will we get to heaven? No. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we're adopted as His children. 
We have joy. We have peace. We have forgiveness. We have cleansing. We have the title deeds of heaven immediately, the moment we put our faith in Christ. As soon as we believe. There are no works to be done. No conditions to be fulfilled. No price to be paid. No probation to work before we can be accepted by God. Salvation is close even to the chief of sinners. But you know what the, the corollary, the, the T's and C's of that is? Is that if there's such amazing benefits to those who have faith, the moment we put our faith, how scary must it be for those who remain in unbelief? Because if heaven is very near to the believer, then hell must be very close to the unbeliever. John writes, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains in them. I want to encourage us again. I'm sure most of us here, we've put our faith in Christ. We have joy. We have eternal life. He's done a work on the inside of our hearts. Perhaps there might be one or two, you don't yet have that life-changing moment where God saved you. I'd love to pray for you this morning. I'm sure we all know people who are not yet believers. We should be praying for them. I want to end this morning with a quote. Maybe the band can come up. We're going to sing a song in a moment. But let's stand together. I want to read a quote from a guy called J.C. Ryle. And he was a pastor to a church in England in the 1800s. In fact, I think he We'll get to the quote in a moment. He died in, in the year 1900. So in the 1800s, he was pastor of a church. And he wrote a whole bunch of stuff to his church to help them in their faith. And this is what he wrote about this passage of John chapter 3. We're going to read it. He says, We can never make too much of Christ. Our thoughts about the church, the ministry, the sacraments may easily become too high and extravagant. But we can never have too high thoughts about Christ. We can never love Him too much, trust Him too implicitly, or lay too much weight upon Him and speak too highly in His praise. He is worthy of all the honor that we can give Him. How's this? He will be all in heaven. Let us see to it that on earth He will be all in our hearts. Friends, how you see Jesus determines how you follow Jesus. And John's trying to give us a picture and say, this Jesus is great. He's mighty. He's awesome. All throughout the Bible speaks about the supremacy of Christ, His authority, His greatness, His power. He's the King who commands my allegiance. He's the Lord who requires my deference. He's the master who commands my obedience. He's the father who listens. He's the bridegroom who loves. He's the shepherd who guides. This is our God, King Jesus. We're going to end off this morning. Often we've said, hey, if you want prayer, come forward. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to worship and exalt this King 
who is so amazing that John says is above all, who comes from heaven, who speaks the word of God. We're just going to lift up his name and say, Jesus, give us a greater picture that we would follow you and love you and lay down our lives because you are great and you are God. Father, this morning, we can't speak too highly of Jesus. We can't worship him enough. And the greatest thing we can do on earth is to lift up his name in praise, in wonder, in awe, in extravagance and generosity from a heart that's been rescued. So let's do that this morning.